Hey there, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier, your host. I'm also a speaker, author, and founder of the Speaking School for Women, an online training program for women who want to become pro speakers. I also run the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of speaking clubs for women. The Claim the Stage podcast is a show for courageous women who want to follow their dreams by claiming their voice. I teach you how to do this by interviewing awesome people who share public speaking tips, teach communication tools, reveal their own experiences, and give expert advice. I interview authors awesome people, professional speakers, coaches, consultants, and hopefully someday a miniature donkey. The Claim the Stage podcast is sponsored by McNally Communications, training you to get results by speaking, writing, and presenting with more impact. You can say it better. They'll show you how. Find them at McNallyCommunications.com. Our second sponsor is Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. They developed an app that makes networking really easy, and it's super cool. Get more information at namenetworth.com. To find out how you could become a sponsor of this podcast, email me at Angela at AngelaLucier.us. Okay, guys, today I have a special episode for you. It is our special Q&A episode. Over the last few weeks, I went out to social media I put out a call to everyone on my mailing list to send me questions, specifically the questions that keep you up at night. What are you thinking about in terms of public speaking? Not so much about your mortgage or if you married the right person or, you know, if you'll ever get that Ferrari or in-ground pool. More like the questions about what's going to happen on stage? Like, what kind of speaker are you? Will you ever get paid for it? What scares you? All that stuff. I got a ton of great questions, and I had to narrow it down to the top six, since you probably have other things to do today. (laughs) And I wanted to keep this rolling along. So you're going to hear from six people who submitted questions that I thought were excellent and probably representative of hundreds or thousands of other people listening who have the same questions. I should also add, I did another episode like this. It was episode 10, the mystery episode. I took a bunch of questions I was asked months earlier when I was preparing to put together the Speaking School for Women, and I wanted to address them on the podcast. If you want to hear another Q&A episode, go back to episode 10, the mystery episode. So how about we jump right into this? Shall we? Let's do it. I want to add that I I picked the questions that I thought were representative of a large group, but I didn't answer them. I didn't even write any notes. This is a test for me, too. (laughs) All of this is completely (laughs) ad-libbed, because this is what I love talking about. Okay, question one. Question one is actually three questions, but we're going to call it one question. Carolyn writes, how do I book my first gig? What if I'm not an expert? And how do I know what my value is? Well, the first thing I'm going to say is if you've never booked a speaking gig, you shouldn't be worried about your value. What you should be worried about is getting practice. You want to practice your material in front of a live group of human beings (laughs) who can give you feedback 
and allow you to present your information in a live forum. This is important when you're a speaker because we think that if we work really hard on putting together a presentation and we, we work on the flow and we pick all the right words and we create a funny joke for the opening and, you know, wrap it all up in a bow that we have something we can go out and sell. Not so fast. <laughs> First, you need to make sure that your content makes sense to someone outside of your head, which means you need to go out and deliver that presentation in a place where you can get feedback and also see what it feels like in your body to say those words out loud in front of other people. And I say this because often as speakers, we think we can put together anything. We can talk about anything. We can go out and we can inspire people and we can motivate them and we can create this this presentation that's going to knock everyone's socks off. But we have no way of knowing that until we're actually in the room with them and we're, we're saying the words that we wrote and seeing how they fly. Just like any stand-up comedian, you'll even see this. Like if you like Louis C.K. or Amy Schumer or Jerry Seinfeld or Chris Rock, if you ever listen to them being interviewed or if you ever read something they wrote, they say that even today, as successful comedians, they still go out and practice material. They go to Comedy Cellar. They go to, you know, these these famous comedy bars and they present new material to see how it flies. So if you're a new speaker, the first thing you need to do is be focused on writing your first speech, not focused on your value. And that means putting together something that people will care about and want to listen to. And the best way to do that is to narrow it down to one specific topic. Don't try to write something that's for everybody. Try to pick a targeted audience, meaning moms, high school seniors, managers, salespeople, farmers, um, CEOs, like a, a, a group, people who could identify because you, you know, you use the title that they have. And then pick a particular problem you're trying to solve for them. If you're trying to inspire them to be healthier, if you're trying to teach them how to make more money, if you want them to be more motivated to create positive change in their life, how to be a better parent, whatever you're teaching, be super crystal clear on what it is you want to get across and who it's for. Once you have those two questions answered, you can create meaningful content and create an interesting title that specifies what you're doing for the audience and who the audience is, and then go out and book your first gig. You don't have to be an expert on the topic as long as you have more information than your audience. And I think this question, or this, this, this word expert is such a trigger word for so many people because we don't have a clear definition of, who, of what an expert is. We all think of an expert differently. Some people probably think of an expert as someone who has 100 years of experience, maybe someone who has 20 years of experience, maybe someone with a PhD, maybe someone who's written 10 books. But what we need to know is it's not important that we know everything about a subject as long as we know more than the people in our audience. I struggled with this concept a lot when I started my business in 2009 because I was 28 at the time and I was a career consultant and I thought, who the heck is going to trust me? I'm, I've only been working for 10 years. I don't have that much experience. Like They're going to look at me and go, how would you be able to help me with my career? You look like you're seven. 
And I had this real fear that when I went in and talked about how to write a resume and how to ace an interview, that my audience was going to look at me like a fraud. And why should they trust me if I haven't even been in the working world for that long? So I went into my business with that mindset. No one's going to actually hire me. This isn't going to work. I'm at a disadvantage because I'm too young and I look even younger than I am. And here's the interesting thing that happened. My first 10 or so clients were people in their 40s and 50s who had been employed for a long time and felt like they were off their game and they weren't savvy about the current landscape in terms of job search and what kind of jobs were available and how to present themselves online and how to use social media. And they looked at me and said, there's someone who's plugged in. There's someone who has the answers I'm looking for and I want to hire her. So what I saw as a disadvantage being my age, they saw as an advantage because they saw that I knew how to use technology and the updated tools and that's what they needed. So before you discount yourself and say, I'm not an expert, I'm not someone people should listen to, let your audience make that choice because they may be able to show you where you shine even though you don't see that. So for Carolyn's question, how do I book my first gig? First, you need to write your presentation for a specific audience with a specific outcome and then go out and pitch it. The best place to pitch it is the low-hanging fruit. Go to your community centers, go to the libraries, go to the Rotary Clubs where they're looking for speakers and they want programming. It's so easy because they, they have rooms, they have people who want information, and they have a way to market it. So go there. It's, that's how I started. It's not like you have a lot to prove yet. You're just there to practice and teach a few skills. If you're not an expert, that's a-okay. Just teach what you know teach your stories, teach your experiences, and teach the advice you know, and leave the rest for somebody else. You can add more as you go. And as far as your value, don't worry about that right now. Just focus on building credibility, getting testimonials, practicing, getting feedback from your audience, and learning about what you most like to talk about. That's a good place to start. Thanks for your question, Carolyn. Question number two. I want to write a book, actually several books. Where do I begin? Which one should I start with? I would build my speaking engagements around this. Finding time to branch off on my own while working full time. When's the right time? Sent by Magdalia Wills, CIPT. Magdalia, thanks so much for your questions. We've got a lot here. I like how everyone just like packs everything in. Like I'm going to go for every question I have because this is, it's, it's good. Like we need to address all of this stuff. So you're asking, you want to write a lot of books, which one should you start with? And you're working full time. So when should you branch out? Well, I'll start with the second question first, because it's easier. You should branch out when you're making enough money to pay your bills without your full time job. And I think a lot of people assume this is a black and white answer. Like you can't do both. You have to either have a full-time job or jump into the unknown and possibly, you know, risk your security, risk your living situation. I think that is the wrong way to go, even though I did that. <laughs> I didn't have a lot on the line. I was like, I'll go live in my car. I don't care. I, I was single. I didn't have, I don't have kids. I didn't have kids. I, 
I had a cat at the time. And I was like, whatever. I don't even care if I don't if I don't make it. I mean, I could go get another job. I'll figure it out. But I don't really give that advice very often because most people have more on the line and they're not willing to live in their car. So for you, I would say keep your full time job and try and create a schedule for yourself outside of work that will allow you to work on building your side business. And that means looking at your whole week, Monday to Sunday, and finding the pockets where you can sit down and do some work. And I often hear from people, I don't have time to work on my speaking business. I work full time. I'm a parent. I have to run, you know, run errands. I have to cook the meals. I have to clean the house. How am I supposed to do the both at the same time? And I always say, if you actually create a calendar and you schedule everything, pockets of time will appear. And that's because you're being more intentional with your time and you're creating opportunities for yourself to work on it. So maybe you create an hour on Tuesday night, an hour on Thursday night, and three hours on Saturday morning. That's five hours a week that you can dedicate to building your speaking business and working on your books. And so do that. Find the time during the week. And create a schedule for yourself to be writing the book, but also marketing yourself as a speaker. Because when your book comes out, you want to have a platform to sell that book. If you don't have a mailing list, if you don't have Twitter followers, if you don't have a website, it's going to be harder to get the word out about your publication. So you could start speaking now and passing around your newsletter list, getting people excited about your content. And then when your book comes out, you'll have a whole mailing list of people who might want to read it. So I would use this time now to start booking free gigs and and using your other time to write. And as far as writing a book, where do you begin? I think it would depend on what kind of book you're writing. If you're writing a book about your life with inspirational advice, start with the one, start with the story you really want to tell. It's not that important, the order of the books, if you have a whole bunch you want to share. What's important is that you're getting out the message that's most important to you for the people you most want to help. And you might find that in your second book, your message changes a little bit. The people you're helping changes a little bit. That's okay because you're going to evolve after you write that first book. And my first book was The Anti-Resume Revolution, which was for job seekers and aspiring entrepreneurs. And it took me about a year after writing that book to find out I really like working with aspiring entrepreneurs more than job seekers. I can relate to them more. I get more excited about what they want to build. And I just felt that we had a better connection. So my second and third books were for aspiring entrepreneurs. So I wouldn't worry too much about the order of them as long as you just get started with one, the one that you feel is like bubbling up inside you that you can't wait to write, that you want the world to know about, and that you can't wait to share. I mean, that's, that, that's where great books come from. So start with your book you really can't wait to write, make time to write, and while also making time to speak, because those two things go hand in hand. And if you have your book available after you've already been speaking, now you've got something for people who are excited to buy it. Thank you for your question, Magdalia. Terry asks, I'm giving a presentation on legal updates to a group of teachers next week and have many cases and stories to share. My question is, how much detail is too much? This is an awesome question, and I often see newer speakers try to pack in every single thing they know on a subject and go as fast as they possibly can to try and give the audience so much and provide tons and tons of value. But the problem is, 
we can only hear so much (laughs) and we end up missing a lot of the presentation. So let's say you're giving a one hour presentation on, you know, legal updates. Pick the three or four that are most important for your audience to learn and then share stories and give examples to back up the point. This helps to cement the learning and create more interest in what you're saying. A great way to break it up if you're saying, well, I have to share like 10 legal updates. I can't do three or four. Break up the content by giving them an opportunity to talk to each other, asking them questions and have them talk to you, add uh, graphics into your presentation, create something tangible where people can pass something around or you can change up the dynamic of the presentation from straight conversation or monologue to a handout, to an exercise, to a video, something that breaks up the, the noise. Think about your stories. You want to put in some longer, more emotional stories mixed in with shorter, funny stories, if you can. And the more you're able to add variety to your presentation, the more your audience will get from it. So the takeaway from this question is try to get rid of all the extra stuff you don't need to be sharing and bring it down to the bare bones of exactly what you want to teach them and then provide a story or example for each one, giving some space in between for questions, for conversation, for graphics, for visuals, something that will help to break up the presentation. And if during the presentation you notice people look bored or they're not looking at you or things feel like they're going on and on and on, that's your opportunity to improvise in some way and try and create some energy in the crowd by having people stand up, having people ask a question to their neighbor and have them get involved in some way. So it's your job as the presenter to sort of rescue your presentation if you feel like, oh my God, I packed in way too much of this presentation and people aren't following along and it looks like they're just waiting for this to end. You can create opportunities to engage them by throwing in some exercises and, and little you know, partner exercises. So Terry, thanks for the question. Hope that helps. All right, I've got a really good one here. I love this question so much. I look around and see other women my age, age 28 or a little bit older, and notice that many of them are way more accomplished than I am. Many of these women seem to be lit with a crazy inner fire. I find that fire beautiful and compelling, but I find that I don't identify with having that fire myself. Though I want to succeed, to speak, to maybe run a business one day. I'm not a business owner. I find that I struggle with confusion about what to focus on and inconsistent energy. I'm a spontaneous and fun-loving person by nature, so I have that going for me, but I worry that I just don't have what it takes to succeed in public speaking, business, or really anything. Help? Sincerely, Late Bloomer. (laughs) First of all, (laughs) thank you so much, Late Bloomer. I would say you're not a late bloomer at all. Age 28 is not that old. (laughs) When I was working at uh, the UMass Amherst Alumni Association, I was doing career counseling with a lot of young alumni, which meant ages 23 to 30. And they would often come in with 
a question similar to this. I haven't figured out what I want to do yet. What's wrong with me? How come I'm still confused? I should have had this figured out by my junior year of college. What if I make the wrong choice? I don't want to waste my time. And it was mostly women who felt a ton of pressure to have all the answers in their 20s. And I have to say, there are very few people I know who have all the answers in their 20s. And I feel lucky that I had the determination in my 20s, but I definitely did not have all the answers. (laughs) I was just trying a lot of things. And I think when Late Bloomer says, I noticed so many of the the women my age are way more accomplished than I am, I would say the major difference between them and what Late Bloomer is, is observing is that the other people are trying a lot of things. They're probably not succeeding as much as she thinks they are. They're just out there experimenting. They're volunteering. They're taking jobs. They're writing blog posts. They're speaking at conferences. But I bet you anything, many of them aren't totally clear about what they're actually doing. (laughs) They're just in this stage of, hey, let's see if this flies. And that's what most successful people do, is they take a lot of chances. And they don't know how it's going to pan out. And it might go totally wrong. And it might feel like a total waste of time, but that is what people do when they're trying to get more information to make better decisions. So Late Bloomer, if you feel like you also struggle with motivation and feeling like, what if I start a business and the next day I don't feel like doing it anymore? You might want to look for a co-founder and find someone with high energy, and you may be able to balance that person out really well. Because that person might feel like, wow, I, I could do all of this stuff by myself. I could definitely run this huge company. I'm really excited about it. It's going to be really big. But if I had someone on my team who could be more of a detail person, help me to keep things organized, to be along for all of these really exciting moments and bring their own creative vision to the table, we could be more successful together. I find that co-founders can fill in the gaps for the other person's weaknesses and create a really strong team. So if starting a business is something you want to do, but you're unsure of whether or not you'd be successful, you may want to look for someone who has complementary strengths, who can help to balance out where you feel like you don't excel. And as far as being confused about what to focus on, I would say There are very few people who feel 100% confident about their idea when they get started. It's a huge risk. It's a leap. It's a maybe this will work, maybe it won't. But when we sit around and think about what's the best thing for me to do? What would I totally love doing every single day? Those questions are sort of traps because it's, it's like impossible to answer those questions. Like find something that gets you excited, like something you just enjoy doing. Like maybe you just like helping people. It can be as simple as that. And then build a business around that. And like my business has changed so many times in the last seven years. It started as career consulting because I knew how to do that and I knew I was pretty good at it, but I didn't think I was going to be doing that forever. And then the career consulting morphed into business coaching, and I started to do business coaching in a whole bunch of different ways. I was helping with marketing and strategy and development and 
just kind of fleshing out ideas and helping to motivate the aspiring entrepreneurs. And now I've totally transitioned my business to focus on public speaking from all of the experience I got in building my pub- my business coaching business through public speaking. So these things have room for evolution. You don't have to pick something tomorrow and do it for the rest of your life. And I think that's one of the major fears a lot of the young alumni had that I was coaching was, what if I make a mistake? The most beautiful thing you can do in life is make a mistake because mistakes lead to information. When you're trying to make a decision with missing information, it often leads to more confusion. And so you also mentioned in your question that you don't you you worry that you don't have what it takes to succeed in public speaking, business or really anything. I think for you the best thing you can do is just find a place to contribute. Don't worry about being successful. Don't worry about it being perfect. Just find a job where you can build a skill set, whether that's in sales, whether that's in customer service, marketing, art, writing. Just pick one thing and start seeing how it goes. Just start learning about it. Start meeting more people who do different things while also building your skills in public speaking and maybe take a class on something. But this stuff doesn't all just show up one day in a package on your front steps from FedEx. It's not like, late bloomer, here is your future. And you open it and it's all shiny and beautiful and it has an instruction manual and a map and it's all laid out for you. Like, that would be amazing. And I totally wish I could do that. (laughs) But unfortunately, actually, actually, unfortunately, slash fortunately, you get to go on a journey and you get to learn as you go about who you are and what you really love doing. And those answers do not reveal themselves quickly, especially if most of your time is spent thinking about it. The best way to get information quickly is to try a lot of things. So my advice to you, late bloomer, is to get out there, join some groups, go to meetup, join some groups, take a class, volunteer, um, Learn new skills, read books, meet new people, do things you think you can't do, challenge yourself, apply for jobs you think you can't get, and just start forcing yourself to get outside of your comfort zone and out of the confusion so that you can start to make choices that will lead to more answers. I hope that helps. And our last question is from Bonnie. Bonnie says, how do I find my authentic voice on stage? This is the golden question. The golden question of career consulting was, how do I find what I'm passionate about? And the golden question of public speaking is, how do I find my authentic voice? I love this question. And it really depends on who you ask, because I've heard so many different versions of how to do this. And I'll tell you how I did this. In the beginning, when I was first in Toastmasters and learning how to speak, I thought that I had to be like other speakers who were more successful, more polished, more experienced. And my assumption was that I had to mimic them if I wanted to be good. And that meant adopting their mannerisms, adopting their speech patterns, using the same body language on stage, and just generally trying to embody their style. I, I watched a couple of videos of some of the world champions of speaking on YouTube, 
and I practiced for a week using their techniques. I came into Toastmasters and I delivered a speech embodying their style. And at the end of the speech, someone said, what, what were you um, doing? <laughs> what were you doing up there? <laughs> that didn't really seem like you. It didn't it seemed like you're trying to be somebody else. And what I found out is there's no one way to present on stage. And if you try to be somebody else on stage, it will probably come off as inauthentic to your audience and like you're trying to act and be somebody you're not. And when that happens, you automatically break the trust. You don't build a solid connection with your audience because they can't get a sense of who you truly are. There's no honesty in your presentation. And they can wonder, well, who is this person really? And why are they hiding? Why are they wearing this mask? And the last thing you want to leave your audience with is a feeling like they have no idea who just talked to them for the last hour. You want to be warm and vulnerable and unique and true and raw, and real, and all of these things that make speakers great. And the best way to do that is to just keep practicing speaking, because the thing that gets in our way with being ourselves on stage is our nerves. We get so nervous, we just want to, we want to present the content, we want to make sure we don't make a mistake, we want to appear confident, we want to do all these things that take a lot of energy. And once we're comfortable with the presentation and with the content, then we can relax a little bit and get more into our bodies and who we really are and and our own communication style can come through. But I really believe that you can't even get to your authentic voice on stage until you practice enough to get through those jitters and trying to be that perfect speaker. And it takes a while. There has to be consistent public speaking in your life so that every time you get on stage, it's not like the first time. And that means maybe you're going to have to speak once or twice a week and you're going to have to just get out there and keep doing it and doing it and doing it until it it starts to feel like it's part of your life and it's part of who you are. And then your authentic voice comes through because you're relaxed enough to allow it. And your authentic voice is the way you interact with your best friends the way you interact with people at home and your family and your and your neighbors and the people who you know and you can feel comfortable around. And I do believe that the authentic voice is always evolving. It's changing with us as we grow and learn more about ourselves and about our content and about our audience. We keep on shifting it and building it and what's true for us in that moment and If we want to create a humorous presentation, is that authentic to us? If we want it to be this like really serious, sincere presentation, how do you do that in a way that's authentic? So the best advice I have for you, Bonnie, is to just keep practicing and getting comfortable on stage so that you can let those jitters go away and then let the authentic voice shine through. But the best thing you can do is to avoid trying to be somebody else on stage and just be you. Well, guys, that does it for today's Q&A special podcast episode. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that was helpful. I really appreciate everyone who sent in questions. I know there were many more, but I wanted to make sure I kept this 
this episode short and sweet. I will definitely be doing it again. If you want to send in questions now, I can start saving them for the future episode. Um, If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider rating it and leaving a review if you're listening on iTunes. It's super simple and it only takes a minute and your review will help more people to find the show, which is always a great thing. If you're not already on my mailing list, be sure to scoot over to AngelaLucier.us to sign up. You'll get special offers, public speaking tips, and updates I only share via email. Thanks again to our sponsors, McNally Communications. You can say it better. They'll show you how. Find them at McNallyCommunications.com. And our second sponsor, Name Net Worth, a networking consulting company that helps people improve their networking skills. You can find them at NameNetWorth.com. To find out how you could become a sponsor of this podcast, email me at Angela at AngelaLucier.us. Well, that's it for me, folks. As always, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.